Welcome to The Emergent Human, where we explore optimizing health and body spirituality and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. And I have a special co-host today, Dr. Tova Sardo, who has earned a PhD in chemistry and a master's in complementary alternative medicine. She currently uses her science and natural medicine background with energetic practices to bring people back to wholeness in individual coaching work. Today's show is brought to you by Cosper Scafidi, an amazing body worker in the Northern Virginia area, who has integrated different somatic practices into his work, including rolfing. You can learn more about Cosper's work at cosperscafidi.com. Today's guest is Beverly Rubick. Dr. Rubick earned her PhD in biophysics at the University of California at Berkeley. She has published over 90 scientific papers and two books. In 1997, Dr. Rubik founded and has served as president of the Institute for Frontier Science, a 501c3 nonprofit laboratory in Emeryville, California. She's a leading scientist internationally known for her research that goes beyond the mainstream and challenges the dominant biomedical paradigm. She serves on the editorial boards of several integrative health journals, including Journal of Integrative and Complementary Medicine. Dr. Rubik is also an adjunct faculty member of the California Institute for Human Sciences and Saybrook University. Her research interests include consciousness and the full human potential in health and healing, the biofield, human energy field, energy medicine, structured water, and the adverse bioeffects of wireless communication radiation. Good to see you, Beverly. Likewise, Michael and Tova. And so part of the conversation with you both today. Um, this is really great. And uh, Beverly, I had so much fun breaking the tip of the iceberg on some of your 90 plus publications, amazing. Um, and the biofield is kind of your area of expertise or one of them. Um, so for those, of, those listening that aren't super familiar with the term, um, can you just give us a brief description of what the biofield is? Sure, I'm talking about the organizing field of life which I believe uh, regulates everything, except maybe your mind. Maybe the mind is the master of the biofield, but, but the biofield I have hypothesized and to some extent have tried to prove it or, or at least validate it scientifically, is regulating the biochemistry and the physiology of the body. So uh, it's akin to something called chi in oriental medicine or prana in Ayurvedic medicine, but I'm making it a scientific concept that can be tested that consists of some conventional fields, the electric, the magnetic, the electromagnetic fields, but probably goes beyond that. And in my laboratory, we have found aspects of the biofield that go beyond conventional energy as we know it in science. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And I know that your background at Berkeley is in biophysics, but how exactly did you get interested or learn about the biofield? Can you tell us that? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, when I was very young, I was interested in, in orgone energy, and it was yeah. very hard to find the writings of Wilhelm Reich when I was in my 20s. They, were, they had been censored, his books had been burned. Sadly, he died in a federal penitentiary uh, because his work was really so out of the mainstream. And I remember going to Berkeley, and my first day in graduate school, they asked me, Why am I coming into biophysics? I said, Because. I'm interested in the concept of a life force, a life energy. And I had read the works of Wilhelm Reich and much of my amazement, my professor said, well, there's nothing about that here. 
And if you want to get through this program, you'll set aside those notions. <laughs> so I went through a conventional science doctorate only to come out on the other side and say, now I want to ask questions that go beyond the mainstream view of life as a bag of biomolecules. I think life is also biomolecular, but in addition, there are other ways of looking. And so I have pursued the energetic paradigm. And I think there's growing interest in this as we have now more and more energy medicine, whether it's laying out of hands type healing, we have all kinds of um, modalities that have sprung up over the last 50 years. And we have many more energy medicine devices, including pulse, electromagnetic fields, uh, magnetic, mm -hmm. electric devices. So people have become aware of energy medicine. There's also homeopathy, color therapy, sound therapy. There's, there's more types of energy medicine, energy healing, than there are probably any other category of alternative and complementary medicine. I, I just want to really quickly, Michael, you probably have a question, but I want to say how much I appreciate your path and your way of getting here and how you went in knowing what you wanted to do and you developed that scientific background to be able to validate it because that's what this field needs. We're so yeah. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. And, um, you know, it continually needs it. And sadly, even though I've been in my career for over 40 years past doctorate, you know, it hasn't moved forward as I had hoped. And right. part of that is the mainstream, the National Institutes of Health, National Science Foundation, and the powers that be have not supported the development of energy healing or energy medicine, sadly. In fact, it's really been more of an obstacle. In other words, we have big pharmaceutical interests, I think, out there that largely have controlled the face of healing. And it's time to consider other views and bring in other modalities. If people don't know about them, they're out there and there's usually no side effects or damage to be done. They're safe and effective. So I have two questions. Um, one flung up on something Tova asked you about in terms of your path. Um, you talked about orgone energy and Reich, and obviously the, the, your professor said put all that stuff aside. But how did you even know about organ energy and Reich heading into graduate school? My first question for you. Well, I would say as a teenager, I was intrigued with this. I mean, clearly, maybe I was born to do what I do because um, yeah. also in my 20s, I had experienced energy healing from the great Dr. Olga Worrell. But that was even beyond getting into graduate school. I already was thinking about these things uh, I think I had experiences of energy as a teenager because I'd lie in bed reading books and then I learned to go out of the body and be in the corner of the room looking down. And, you know, it was a little spooky and I had no no teacher. So I quickly snapped back in the body. But I mean, I recognized that there was um, another aspect of life that was energetic that went beyond the physical material body. And I learned to maneuver energy to some extent. Now, I'm not a self-proclaimed healer or anything, but I do believe all of us have this ability. And maybe I played with it as a teen and then said, what's going on here? I want to understand this and started finding books on it because I was an avid reader and discovered Wilhelm Reich. So, and there were others. He wasn't the only one I was interested in. It, it goes so far back. Of, you know, you, we can trace this interest back 5,000 years 
with the development of oriental medicine, Ayurveda. Um, there's a huge literature on it, and I was just gobbling that up as a teenager. My second question for you is, you mentioned NIH. Could you talk about your experiences? Because I do believe you're part of uh, a research team as part of NIH, kind of creating the whole biofield field. Yes, uh, I was congressionally appointed by the, uh, Senator Spector. I was living in Pennsylvania at the time, um, being at Temple University in Philadelphia. And Senator Spector appointed me to be one of the 18 advisors to the new Office of Alternative Medicine in 1992. And I got appointed and I went to NIH many times. We had a lot of meetings to try to scope out alternative complementary medicine, which was the mandate from the Congress who some of the uh, representatives in Congress had had amazing healings using alternative medicine. And they said, why is NIH not including this? So they made a law that they start such a center in 92. So it was around 94 after many meetings, uh, not just of the 18 advisors, but of the community of alternative and complementary medicine that we should include energy medicine. And my team came up with the term biofield um, which was not yet recognized in science. We didn't want to choose uh, prana or chi, which were culturally laden from alternative medicine and just specific modalities. So we came up with this term and we got it to be a medical subject heading at the National Library of Medicine. And it became in the chapters that we wrote for a very formative book called Alternative Medicine, Expanding Medical Horizons. So that book was published by the U.S. government printing office in 1994. And about the same year, we got this into National Library of Medicine. Keep in mind, this is before Google and Scholar Google. So if you wanted to find papers, you needed to go to the National Library of Medicine at your library. And that wasn't even online in those years. So uh, anyway, uh, we got it in there. And there was some support for Biofield. There were also grants given from um, about four center grants in biofield science and frontier medicine. Uh, and I was the recipient of one along with Dr. Gary Schwartz, University of Arizona. Um, so we had a three-year grant to explore biofield science, frontier medicine. Mainly we explored uh, types of healing like Joe Ray, Reiki, Qigong. And then <clears throat> the grant monies ran out, excuse me. <clears throat> And then there's always a regime change, a new presidential election means new administrators for the Office of Alternative Medicine, which became the Center for Integrative Medicine subsequently. And as new administrators came in, they did not support energy medicine over the last 30 years very much. So again, it's the mandate is, is, has been there, but <clears throat> those congressmen have moved on or passed away as well. So uh, mainly um, they support integrative approaches, mind-body, approaches, um, power of affirmation and other mind-body modalities, but there's not a heck of a lot going on that's supporting energy medicine. And so it's been limping along, sadly, for the last 30 years since that wonderful office at NIH was created. And um, I would say 20 years at least, because there were some grants that went up through about uh, 2002, and then it petered off. And so I'm, I'm interested also in what you, what kind of research you're doing in your lab right now. What are you, what's the focus there and what are you really excited about? 
Well, I'm disturbed about 5G. I'm not positively excited about it. I'm disturbed what it's going to do to our health. And as soon as I learned about it several years ago, we became madly exploring what are the consequences of this. Um, I wrote a paper in the last few years when COVID came out because I had done a study on 4G and cell phone um, exposure back in 2014, and I found a lot of early stages of blood clotting. So the minute I recognized that COVID was not just a respiratory disease, but had um, unfortunately the capability of causing blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, thrombosis, I said, maybe there's a relationship here. And I began to do a literature search. And sure enough, I found an overlap in some of the symptomatology and the disease progression of COVID in relation to our exposure to wireless communication radiation. Mm. So I, that was very difficult to publish because again, that paper is outside of mainstream use because it involves an environmental cofactor that might be exacerbating the pandemic. And mm. as you know, the CDC has tightly controlled the official narrative focusing on the virus and the vaccine as the sole, uh, mainly the, the main treatment. And uh, unfortunately, they have neglected environmental factors, which, of course, everybody in epidemiology knows is part of a pandemic. It's it's the agent, it's the environment, and it's the health of the host. So let's talk about those other factors. I mean, it's been a couple of years already, and we haven't solved this pandemic problem. But sadly, they have not brought that in. So my paper was difficult to publish, but we finally got it published. And now my laboratory is working on a 5G meter a handheld meter for the people to measure beyond eight gigahertz because there's nothing they can get outside of $100,000 military grade equipment to measure beyond eight gigahertz. And I'm also doing a study on purported protective devices uh, against 5G, everything from so, uh, stickers you put on the back side of your phone to Schumann resonators to, to a bunch of different modalities to see indeed if they help protect us in terms of the clotting phases in blood and the biofield. So that, oh. that's the study that I'm currently involved with. Wow, that's fantastic. There are so many devices coming out that are making these claims that are helping to shield EMFs. And there's, you just have to trust <laughs> whoever it's coming out from that they've done their research, but you can't always trust that. Oh, so that, that's very valuable research, wow. Um, have you done any, I know you have the BioWell and you look at, um, uh, like the photography of, of the auric field. Have you looked at EMFs and how they affect the field, the biofield? Yes, I have. I have not made an exhaustive study, but I can tell you that there are two categories of people, the way they manifest. This is uh, interesting. Changes in the biofield are seen with bio-well. There's electrosensitive persons who know they don't feel good around these devices, these wireless devices like cell phones, um, router modems, uh, antennas, they get pain, they get uh, fuzzy brain, they get um, tinnitus, ringing in the ears, they get a host of symptoms, palpitations, or they may get one or more of these, but some people really know they're electrosensitive and they, they need to stay away from these devices. So those people, they have a profound change in the biofield or the whole aura as seen with bio, um, with the instrument. And it looks disheveled. It looks left-right imbalanced. Uh, it's it's really a horrific change. 
But even people who say, I'm not electrosensitive, I can be around my cell phone and hold it here and talk, it's not a problem. When tested with BioWell, I still see a change. I see greater stress. So the biofield looks, the edges become ragged. In other words, the energy is disturbed. Ideally, the, the energy field of the body should be a smooth flowing chi, uh, not necessarily huge, but uh, that's the idea according to oriental medicine, that the flow, the flow of chi is smooth and regular and not bumpy, not spiked. <laughs> and so we see these spikiness, this irregularities show up. And even people who say, I have no problem with wireless communication exposure, it's there. And I would say everyone should be electrosensitive to some extent because we are not just chemical beings, we are energy beings. So why wouldn't we manifest uh, changes from fields that are so alien to the human biofield? Of course mm -hmm. we do. And you know, it's been said nature nurtures and technology can torment. And I think those are wise words. Now, not all technology torments. There are definitely healing devices out there, but we've selected, unfortunately, frequencies and modulations for our technologies, be it everything from the 60 hertz or the 50 hertz power line to all of these wireless devices that go from megahertz now up to gigahertz with 5G. And they are not <laughs> found on earth. They are totally unnatural and we are not accommodated to them. And I don't know that we ever will be. Follow-up question for you. Um, if these communication devices and transmission of electricity devices have an effect on the biofield, how might they show up biochemically and then subjectively in individuals? Well, there's a literature on that because a lot of the work, and there's really literally thousands of papers that show changes at all levels of biological organization from uh, gene expression to mutations in DNA, all the way up to uh, uh, cellular levels, for example, the calcium flux uh, opens the pores in the cell and calcium rushes in and it's normally very highly regulated and now it's coming in and that's problematic because calcium is a second messenger that goes on to regulate many functions in the cell. And we see changes in the immune system from immune suppression to hyperimmune activation. Things like the cytokine storm in uh, severe cases of COVID-19 uh, could in fact be exacerbated by exposure to wireless communication radiation because some of the literature even shows that it does things like that. It, it has a host of, of changes. And then at the level of behavior and performance, uh, people cannot focus as well. There's been studies showing concentration is impaired. And you know, a lot of people have that these days, uh, not just children in school, but a lot of adults and uh, human performance. So every level from sub gene level all the way up to human performance has been impacted. And there are literally thousands of papers in the literature in English alone showing effects of low level um, radiation from in the, in the range from wireless communication devices. Most cases they did not study the devices themselves, but they studied frequencies and modulations that are comparable to what our devices emit. Wow. What's surprising to me is, is most people talk about the old research from the 90s on some of these frequencies. I haven't dug into research, uh, but they say that it doesn't affect the field. 
And then you're saying there's there are thousands of papers on this. <laughs> well, you know, I want to tell you what they say and why they say it. Because, you know, for example, the Federal Communications Commission, which regulates wireless in our country, in the United States, um, Sadly, I have to say, I think they're in bed with big business. Many of them come from big telecom and then they shuttle between the FCC and back to big telecom, but they are the ones that create the guidelines. And what they focus on is the magnitude of the energy. That's just one factor, but what we have with wireless communication radiation are pulsations. If you put a meter near your cell phone or a router, you're, gonna, you're not gonna see any constant number. You're gonna see stuff that's going up and down and up and down, you say, oh, wait a minute, what, is my meter broke? What's going on? No, that's exactly how the emission is. It's on off, on off, on off in very short pulses. And it's, it's, you can't adapt to this. It's me like me standing at a light switch and flipping the switch on and off every microsecond pulsing and your eyes are gonna say, oh, this is horrible. I, I can't take it. Either turn the light on or turn it off already. So, it's the modulation and the pulsation that is the bad thing, but they are not considering this. They are considering only the magnitude and the average magnitude of the energy. And with that, if you were to only consider that, you would not see much biological effect except at a higher magnitude when we would get tissue heating, when your brain would heat up. So when they measure it uh, at places like Big Telecom, they strap a cell phone on a mannequin uh, the interior of the head of that mannequin is salt water, and they put a thermometer in there, and they're looking for heating. That's all. They're not looking for changes in the dynamics of a living being. And so that's a poor engineering model of a human being, which is a dynamic system. And you know, brain waves and heart waves tell us a lot about the activity of those organs. Mm -hmm. And if we're disrupting brain waves and heart waves, we are disrupting physiology and globally within the organism. Absolutely, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so what, what are steps to help with this? What do you see as being an important um, thing to do next for, for, for science and then for- Well, I think we need to find whether some of the so-called protective devices in the market really work. I haven't seen any device that really has a great, let's say peer reviewed paper done by independent scientists. Often they're done in-house with just a couple of subjects and they say, here's our data, if, if at all there's any data on their websites. And that's disappointing to me because there's bias, there's just a few people measured. And does that represent me well? I don't know. Um, I may be of different age and gender and all these things. So I wanna see larger studies done by independent scientists and peer review published in journals. And then I'll be impressed. But because there's none of that essentially, I have to take it upon myself to at least start comparing some of these products, some of the major ones. And I, won't, I don't have the research money yet to really do big studies, but I'm going to at least compare in small ways some of these devices and see what we get. And that will be very interesting. Let me say that so far, I have not found anything that works 100%. Mm -hmm. So in the end, we might need more than one type of device to work with. And the other thing is, I think we need to use prudent avoidance. In other words, it really isn't safe to hold your phone here. It's not even a great idea to keep your phone on your body in a pocket. And it's better to keep it at arm's length, 
even on airplane mode so oh that God. it's turned off essentially except for it's bleeping communication with the uh, the gps satellite uh, it locates with cellurin and so it will still emit but not as much so we need to prudently avoid higher exposure with wireless because when I talk to the electrosensitive folks, I say, tell me about your history. How do you think you got so sensitive that you can't stand to be around these wireless communication devices? And they say, you know, I used it eight hours a day like this. I made oh. phone calls eight hours a day on my job. And then I started to get symptoms. So I've heard this over and over again. Or, oh, they put an antenna outside my building and now I'm 20 feet from it. I, I'm really getting a lot of exposure. So getting more exposure seems to lead to electrosensitivity. And with the advent of 5G and 4G and, and the plethora of antennas and base stations going up in your neighborhood, near your schools and businesses, we have got to be sensible about our exposure and start reducing it. Or we're going to end up electrosensitive and disabled from using these devices. So I tell people prudent avoidance. Use your wireless devices sensibly and certainly don't store them in the body, turn them off. Uh, whenever possible, use wired devices in your home and workplace. I have a follow-up question. You know, all that aside, which is wonderful advice, um, what might you recommend people do to actually strengthen or heal if they have problems with their biofield in and of itself, independent of the causes of any kind of problem? Well, what I found is the, the people with the strongest biofields that are really more impervious to anything um, are people who have mind-body-spirit practices and practice mm -hmm. something regularly, whether it's meditation, qigong, yoga, or prayer. These are the people who have biofields that uh, are more resilient and resistant to stress, whatever that stressor is, electromagnetic, psychological, financial, so we need to get going with our practices. This is an extraordinary time on earth of many stressors, serious ones that are not letting up anytime soon. So it's really very timely to, if you're not already engaged in such a practice, to take one up and to practice daily. And I found that after about two years of regular practice, people develop stronger, more resilient biofields, mm. whatever they do. They have to be serious about it. They have to be doing it daily for at least, I would say, 30 minutes to an hour. And things change. The biofield becomes definitely um, more impervious to stressors. And what, that is amazing, Beverly. And, and what do you think is happening with the biofield? Do you have any ideas, hypothesis on what's going on, why it gets strengthened? Well, again, I think um, the biofield is not just consisting of energies that we can measure in science. And I think it really goes beyond into the metaphysical realm. And now I'm sort of stepping outside of science, but I do believe it's the bridge between consciousness and the body, and mm -hmm. maybe even linking us to the more subtle bodies that have been discussed in uh, Ayurveda, Oriental medicine, et cetera, and, and in ancient literature and ancient scripture that uh, the human being is, is not a simple uh, mass of uh, cells and molecules. And so I, I consider it really uh, something on the physical level and also one foot in the metaphysical realm. And so when we practice, we strengthen the connections between consciousness, conscious intention, 
and the body and the energy and the energy then simply uh, gets strengthened and better balanced. And you can see that in measurements that I make on the BioWell camera, which is really a wonderful commercial device for taking a look at the biofield in some depth with meridians and chakras and left-right balance and, and stress. All of that can be shown uh, visually as well as numerically. It can be ascertained uh, scientifically and studies can be done um, quantitatively to really get insights into the changes that I've been talking about. Uh, follow up question, um, and then over to you, Tova, if that's cool. Um, you know, I would like you, if you could, talk about how we all as individuals have biofields, but our biofields actually affects other beings, other human beings, but other sentient beings in our environment. Can you speak to a little bit about that? Absolutely, yes. Uh, and it's vice versa. I would say the cat sitting on your lap purring, that's part of the biofield. And that frequency of the cat purring on your lap has actually been shown to help heal broken bones. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so biofield is something that doesn't have boundaries. You know, we can consider our energy also to include biophotons, the light of life, which we also measure at my lab with uh, photomultiplier tubes. It's, it's like a, a very low level star radiating into the universe. And where one biofield stops and another one starts is a question that doesn't make any sense because there's an overlap of our energy fields. And so we're in, when we're in a room full of people or just with another person, there's already an energetic interaction through the biofields. We feel this. We, people talk about vibes. They talk about feeling the anger or the love coming from another person or maybe the neutrality. But we read these things through our energy fields and we understand them. And it's part of being human. And sadly, on these lockdowns and isolations that we've been experiencing over the last two years in this pandemic, many of us have been deprived of this experience. And I think that's a very rich bandwidth to being human that we want to come together, we want this richness of energetic exchange, not just words and visuals, which we can get on Zoom, but we can't get the energetic experience through our Zoom meetings or through phone calls or texting. And, you know, we're really missing that and we need to come together. It's very powerful to be in groups, especially groups of like mind or intention, groups that are uh, spiritually motivated, uh, whether in a church, a synagogue, or a temple, uh, things happen when we come together in groups. We raise our vibration when we have the intent to do so. And so I think we can grow energetically coming together as well. Thank you. Toba? I, th I think that is very, very true. And it makes me think of um, what I've been reading over the last couple of years about addiction and how addiction really is about not being able to feel or have connections in a certain way and and how does the biofields it'd be interesting to look at a biofield of somebody that's deep in addiction um their transformation as they heal from that and i bet that would be a fun a fun thing to to look upon it's just what i was thinking about any thoughts on that well actually i have not done that that study and i hope that you will because that's certainly a very interesting thing i agree <laughs> and actually, I bet you'll see great improvements. Yeah. I have once seen in a different test, um, acupuncture meridian conductivity testing, I have seen 
what happens to the liver meridian of people taking uh, street drugs and uh, liver meridians were highly inflamed, indicating the liver, which is a great detoxifying organ of the body was in trouble. And wow. so I could spot uh, someone who was a drug user, uh, at least wow. using it, uh, let's say recreationally. And, um, and when I told that to the person, they were pretty surprised that energetically I could see that, but it was with a different device, uh, measuring conductivity, the electrical conductivity of acupuncture points and points of the 12 meridians. Wow. And it's, you know, it's, it's very exciting to be able to tell someone energetically this is showing up and you have liver stress and that's clear. Right. Well, and this leads me to a question also, because you, you mentioned that just having a picture of the field isn't enough. You need other data to really describe what's going on. Um, so what are some of the other uh, devices or ways that you get data? Well, let me explain that BioWell, which is one of the central devices we use, is not just about pictures. Yes, okay. there are pictures, and I have shown that in the past to your groups and others. But what I didn't show you is the quantitative aspect of those devices. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a downloadable comma-separated values uh, from all aspects of the intensity, the left-right balance, um, the, the numbers of joules of light emitted from each fingertip. So mm -hmm. it's very physics, physics-oriented. And those instruments have been used in doctoral dissertations at Saybrook, for example, that I've mentored students who've done those things. And they're scientific instruments. Uh, so there are others. I measure the photon count from the body, uh, the light of life, the natural light emitted from life. And we showed that some of the ancient ideas like the palm of the hand being a minor chakra and these fingers being what they call sword fingers in Qigong's and Taoist meditations were some of the greatest emitters from the human body, uh, palm of hand and sword fingers, but especially of Taoist masters who are using them regularly in, in their Taoist practices, such as Qigong or Tai Chi, or external uh, Qi, giving external Qi. So we saw that in studies, and it correlates exactly with what the ancients were saying 5,000 years ago. So in a way, the science is catching up with ancient wisdom that's been out there. And, and how they knew this, we can only wonder. They knew it intuitively, I suppose. They didn't have the instrumentation that we have today. And we are validating some of that old wisdom. That's exciting. Michael, any questions? Sorry. Uh, last question, then I'll turn over to you, Tova, and then we can wind it down if you'd like. Um, you know, I was in your lab, God, 25 years ago. <laughs> And you did a live blood cell analysis on me, which mm -hmm. I thought was fascinating. And I'm, I'm curious, is that something you still do? And if you could talk a little bit about the benefits of using that as a diagnostic tool. Absolutely, yes. I still do it. I've done it now about 25 years, Michael. And sadly, <laughs> I've seen how blood has deteriorated in mm -hmm. general in the population. Mm -hmm. And I think it has to do with the advent of wireless communication mm -hmm. devices and you know, there's a great number of them over recent years. So that I used to see really healthy blood in youngsters and 25 year olds and 40 year olds. And now I see many problems similar to the aging adult in terms of sticky blood, early blood clotting. And um, I also think our diets are not as good. There's more processed food and that's another factor. 
So it, I can see elements of nutrition in live blood analysis. I can see the quality of the red blood cells and the white blood cells, whether they're moving, which is the cellular component of the immune system and um, the, form, the forms of red blood cells, their stickiness, their, uh, their size, whether they're normal looking or not. So it's really a test that's complementary to conventional blood tests, which basically are machines that count your cells. But nobody, no human eyes ever look at that blood, ever look at the quality of the blood. I'm looking at the quality of the blood and the plasma and looking at debris in the plasma is another thing. I can see hair coloring that was recently done. I can see uh, all kinds of effects of smoking. It shows up as many, uh, a lot of debris in the plasma. So it's a good, shall we say, screen of many things from toxicity to nutrition to uh, how you're handling the wireless radiation in your life. Wow. Well, Thank you, Beverly. Over to you, Tova. That was amazing. Um, I, I have one question. I have a million questions for you, but I'll, I'll try to keep it to my, my burning, my most burning ones. <laughs> Um, so I studied with Dr. Klinghardt. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, oh, yeah. a, a lot. <laughs> okay, good. And, um, he mentioned in one of his talks that DNA actually communicates via light with these little loops on top, um, instead of chemical or electrical signals. And I can't remember who he cited as being the researcher who did that. Um, that would be Dr. Fritz Pop. Yeah. Oh, Dr. Okay. Dr. Pop is someone I studied with 30 years ago. I went to Germany and learn his techniques of biophoton measurement. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us on this plane, but I was delighted to spend the whole summer there uh -huh. studying biophoton communication between species and measuring biophotons. And I've set up a biophoton closet, dark <sighs> closet for measuring humans, oh, uh, wow. measure also crops like cucumbers. We did a study on agriculture for the Japanese. So we do many things with biophoton measurements, but that's not a commercial device. You need maybe 15 to 20,000 to just begin to put it together. Wow, wow. And so I, one of my questions has always been, what, what are some of the main sources of biolite internally in organisms? Well, that's a good question. The DNA apparently is one source of light and that gives rise to apparently the coherent light. Uh, Fritz Pop distinguished between the coherent light emission and a level of incoherent light emission. By coherence, I mean like a laser, collimated, and all the waves are in phase, like sinusoidally joined together. Incoherent light is light waves out of phase. They're not bouncing together. So there is incoherent light emission from free radical chemistry in the body. In other mm -hmm. words, there, there's oxygen-free radicals from just the air we breathe and metabolism that generates uh, superoxide ion and a bunch of others that uh, can get excited and then emit a photon, but it, they're all incoherent light. And that's very different. So, so there are these two types of light, the coherent light, which is the signal, and the incoherent light, which you might say is the noise uh, of the photon emission coming from living things. Oh, wow. Thank you for making that distinction. I've, I've looked in the literature and I've seen a lot on the internet and I didn't realize that there was a distinction there. Thank you. That's very useful. Wow. Well, I, I think we just touched the service <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of, of, of 
could be a, like a multi-day, really deep conversation on multiple different topics. Uh, Beverly, this has been fascinating. Kova, I really appreciate you co-hosting this conversation with me. Um, Beverly, where can people find more about your work? Well, I have a couple of websites. They're not always up to date, but one is brubik.com. That's B-R-U-B-I-K.com. And the other is my nonprofit laboratory website, which is frontiersciences.org. So frontierscience with an S on the end, .org. I'll make sure and, to include all that in the show notes too. I'm sorry to interrupt. Great. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, good. My emails Beverly. are there, so you can find them. Excellent. Beverly, thank you for your time and all your many decades of work. And once again, Toby, thanks for joining me as a co-host. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Great.